Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. That the scripture is talking about is not so much so referring to self as much as it is referring to the spirit of God that somebody has received. And then as a result of that, being able to be ruled within because of the spirit of God that someone has received, we understand then that true, and might I include sustainable temperance, then is received or derived from the Holy Ghost, from the spirit of God that you receive. This word temperance is derived from a Greek word. And let me just give us some definitions this morning of this word. From the Greek word meaning strong in a thing or masterful. It refers to the restraining of passions and appetites that originate particularly from the old self. The old person who you once was. It can simply mean holding himself or herself in temperance is allowing the ruler of your life to hold the old self in so that the new creature that's being birthed by the spirit of God can show out and so with that being the the the, the case many times people have likened this idea of temperance to a modern day saying that uh, we have get a grip Uh, Temperance being parallel to getting a grip. But honestly, this morning, as Christians, we are not capable uh, and can, might I say, only get a grip because God's Spirit has already gotten a grip on you and I. In the Bible, temperance first applies to, and this is primarily what temperance normally is referring to, but not always, but normally, primarily, it is applying to sexual incongruences but it also extends beyond that into other general areas of our lives some people have even looked at well temperance just only has to do with uh, self-control perhaps in the area of our temper or in our anger I know a lot of people that's what temperance is but it isn't just about your anger or self-control of your anger or your sexual appetites it could be your real appetite it could be uh It could be uh, other things of abusing substances out there. For instance, things that you would be addicted to. Drugs or alcohol. That is all manners and matters of temperance as well. There's temperance that needs to be exercised, not just for things that you ingest in your body, but there needs to be temperance for things that you do with your mind as well. For that matter, there's things, there's temperance that needs to be exercised for things that you do in the realm of the spirit. With the spiritual man as well. And so whenever, whenever these Grecians wanted to illustrate temperance in their day, what they would do, they would build a statue of a man or a woman, and in doing so, they would do it in perfect proportion. And to them, that was an excellent model or illustration of temperance. And that was somebody that was ordered and balanced in every area of their life. And whenever I see this, we see the word temperance used in Acts chapter 24. The Bible, the the setting of, of the story is this, is that the Apostle Paul is in prison in Caesarea. 
He has just been sent there. And there is the man who is the uh, uh, governor of that area by the name Felix. And Felix has gathered some people together along with Paul to hear Paul's own defense of why uh, he should not be in prison. And whenever Paul was speaking to Felix, and the Bible says that his wife Drusilla was along with him, then whenever the apostle Paul reasoned with them, he reasoned with them mainly about three things. And one of the three that he spoke to them about was temperance. He talked to them about righteousness, temperance, and judgment, but he spoke to them about temperance and rightfully so the bible says in acts 24 and verse 25 and as he reasoned of righteousness temperance and judgment to come felix trembled and answered go thy way for this time when i have a convenient season i will call for you well with great reason and great purpose paul spoke to them about temperance i would dare to say that temperance is probably one of those aspects of the fruit of the spirit that we struggle and i do say we everybody say we I'm feeling alone up here. We struggle together with. Because he spoke to this to Felix for this purpose because Felix lived and led a very intemperate life. If you'll remember, he has his wife here beside him of Drusilla. But the reason why she is beside him, Felix failed in temperance in the primary aspect of sexual matters because he convinced Drusilla who used to be the wife of another man to leave her husband and come and be his wife. So Felix is very intemperate in this matter of sexual matters. Not only that, we understand that he was intemperate in that history tells us that he hired an assassin to murder the high priest Jonathan. Well, there's something that's getting out, isn't there? There's something that's not being held in bars. Not only that, the Bible tells us in verse 26 of Acts 24 that one of the main reasons why Felix keeps Paul in prison is that he's hopeful. Even after hearing Paul, he's hopeful that maybe somebody will give him some money in order for Paul to be released. So here's a man that is not, not, not very temperate concerning the financial as he has some greed, uncontrolled greed that's in his life that he would keep a man that he heard that he can hear clearly is innocent but I'm going to keep him perhaps I'll get a favor of money on the other hand so he's intemperate in all these different areas and so he, he illustrates very well a life that is without restraint or a life that is left without any control and there's something very important I think we need to rest in our spirits today and that is this anything someone say anything Anything uncontrolled can harm you and your relationships. Since the primary vein is, is sexual matters, let me say, let's talk about lust just for a little bit this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 26, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. If you read Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 and 9, you're going to read a lot about sexual passions that are out of control and inappropriate. As a matter of fact, I would dare to say that in our society, even more so than ever before, we are subjected to images and thoughts that go beyond the boundaries 
of what is proper. And the enemy is very deceptive and beguiling that he many times, even in the thoughts of men and women, I'm not painting toward any direction today, but men and women, many times the adversary can interject into our mind an evil or might I even say lustful thought into our minds. And when that happens, what we need is a practice, a command of temperance in our life. Because what temperance does is aid us in dismissing the unwanted evil or lustful thought or impure thought that has come into our mind rather than entertain it. Now I can't keep necessarily adversary from interjecting that in my mind. But I can with the help of the Spirit what I do after it gets there. Amen. I cannot, I cannot avoid, Brother Mason, going down a 41 and them talking uh, uh, about the surgery for a woman and have some scantily clad lady on a billboard. I guess I could go another direction after I knew it was there. I can't help in our community with all these people at this time of year that's walking and running. That's skimpy. And I drive by. But I can help with temperance in my neck around for a second look or I can cut off the path and dismiss the thought with the help of the Holy Ghost exercising temperance in my life someone say amen and so with that said the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 3 we can, we can you, you are either going to fan the flame of your thoughts or you're going to bring them into a place of captivity. And that, doesn't, that goes beyond just lust or impure thoughts or thoughts of evil. Even where we talk about later maybe a little sense of the, the, the aspect of becoming angry or mad at someone. There's one thing about keeping wood from the fire and feeding the fire with kindling to keep the fire going. And so 2 Corinthians 10.3 it says, For though we walk in the flesh. Everybody say, I know that. We walk in the flesh in a very literal sense. We are walking in the flesh. We're presently bound in these earthly bodies and we will be until Christ comes back for his church someday. That's just the way it is. We walk every day in the flesh. But he says we do not war after the flesh. He said we, we are contained to these bodies of flesh. But if you've been born of the water and the spirit, you need not war after the flesh. And I've said this before. Some of the difficulty of Christians is this. That though they walk in the flesh, they try to do their war in the flesh. And I've said it before. You can't win battles against the flesh or fleshly things in the flesh. It takes war and in the spirit to combat things of the flesh. So he goes on in verse 4 parenthetically and says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But look now, mighty through what? Through God. Not you. You can't do it. This has been all a part of our 12-week series. You can't do it. But Christ, if you allow and surrender to him, he can do it through you. And we can do it through him, so to speak. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now look at verse 5. Here it is. Casting down imagination. Imaginations. There are young boys and there's young girls 
on both sides of the fence today that are having impure sexual fantasies by virtue of imagination. There's people's anger that is stoken, that's going from anger to bitterness to resentment because they take an issue and they've imagined it to be more than what it is. Through temperance, through the Holy Ghost, through God, we can cast down those imaginations, the Bible says, in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And look at the last phrase here, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's the thing. If it is a thought that can be obedient to Christ, then it is probably good and wholesome and pure and clean and righteous. If it can subject itself to Christ, then you're probably good with entertaining that type of thought. Someone say amen. amen. Part of, uh, of Samson in, in Judges 16, 15, 16, 13, all around in that area, part of Samson's problem in Judges was in many ways a temperance problem. Samson himself was a gift to his parents, a gift particularly to his mother who had a barren womb, not only that, but he was also a gift in certain means to the nation of Israel that were under the thumb of the Philistines. And the Bible says that he would be born to begin, the Bible says, to deliver the Israelites from the enemies, which were the Philistines. He would begin to deliver them. And I guess in some respects that Samson's life did just that. He fulfilled his role. Because he only really truly began to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines largely due to the fact that he was a man that was infatuated with Philistine women. As a matter of fact, the first recorded words out of Samson's mouth is this, I saw a woman. You know... If Christ moves upon the heart of someone to pin the first recorded words of Samson and the first words out of his mouth, I saw a woman. <laughs> he's got a long life of trouble ahead of him. I mean, he's bartering with his mom and dad about why she's the right one, although she is not an Israelite, while she should be the one for him and trying to bend their arms, so to speak, to get him for, 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 for him and so all this stuff. So he has a big problem with infatuation. He has a temperance problem. And primarily in this act, in the area of, of his love, lust. Uh, 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 Samson, we know him. Man, man, you have all the pictures of mountains and mountains of muscles. Uh, the Bible seems to think that or prescribe that he had great, great strength. But what matched his great strength was his great inner weakness. Samson wanted to lust after pagan women. It's, there's a lot of just moments of contrast for Samson he, he wanted to be able to lust after pagan women but he then was prescribed to help Israel deliver them from the pagan men and so it's very difficult to deliver a people from a foe you've not been delivered from yourself Supposed to help a whole nation get out of the clutches of the Philistines, but he can't get out of the clutches of their women. Yes, sir. 
And so the, 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 the notable enemy then for Samson wasn't even so much the Philistines as it was their women. And it was the part of himself that I might say, if we lean on the definition of temperance, it was the part of himself that he couldn't keep inside. <laughs> The part of himself he couldn't keep inside. He couldn't keep that desire, that lust inside. And so he was lacking temperance. Yet, the Bible says on several occasions that the spirit of the Lord would move upon Samson. He's having this difficulty with temperance. Yet at several times the spirit of the Lord would move upon him. And what that denotes to me and for us this morning is this. It suggests to me that it's possible for the Spirit of the Lord to move upon you without you yielding to it moving in you and controlling the inner man. Amen? And this kind of touches Wednesday just a little bit. This proves to me that the Spirit of God can move up on you and you can still have something off kelter, but that's not His endorsement. For what is out of alignment. I, I, I read something here lately. I read a book called The Samson Syndrome. It's actually authored by someone that used to live in West Salem, not far from here. Uh, Mark Atterbury, The Samson Syndrome. And he said this about Samson. He said, like Samson, he said, strong men, and I would just like to encompass all people. People often do crazy things because they believe they're invincible. They think they can do whatever they want and nothing will happen. Why? Because nothing ever has happened. It's, a sin, it's an easy fact with every sinful indulgence that does not produce no harmful result, we grow then more comfortable and complacent, eventually coming to believe that the activity is not really dangerous at all. The summation is this. If I can do something that's incorrect, but there's no consequence to it, then I'll keep on doing it and feel as though it's not wrong because nothing happened to me. And so, as with through these 12 weeks, all these traits of the fruit of the Spirit, temperance is very important for the success of the Spirit in our lives. Because if you'll remember, as with natural fruit, so is the comparison here with the spiritual fruit. Within the fruit are the seeds for reproduction. Someone say amen. amen. Within the fruit are the seeds of, re of reproduction. And so within the love and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the gentleness, right? The meekness and even now the temperance are the seeds for those things to be reproduced. Now, the Bible says, Judges 16, we'll just go a little longer here of Samson, then we'll go on. Judges 16 and verse 20, look what happens here. And she said, the Philistines be upon you. This is Delilah, okay? Delilah said that the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times. And what's he referring to? He'd been bound with seven green widths. And they came upon him and he busted through them and took care of business. He had been bound with new ropes that had never been occupied. They came upon him, he busted through them and took care of business. She had weaved the locks of his hair in a web and with the, the pin and had it in his hair. They came upon him. He busted out of that, took care of business. What's happening? In each of these things wherein he was lying about where his strength lied, he was bound in some manner in each of these episodes. 
And whenever they came in, he was able to bust loose and there were no consequences. There's nothing negative happening by giving in little by little a little bit more. But on this occasion, when she has shaved his head, the Bible says they come in and look what his, his demeanor, his opinion is. I'll go out just like I have all the other time. I'll go out just like I have all the other times and I'll shake myself. And the Bible says he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. Samson, why are you going out like other times? Samson, why are you confident that you could shake yourself and everything's going to be okay? Why? Well, he did that because he had fallen prey to the idea that Mark Atterbury had spoke about that since nothing happened before, since I didn't practice temperance before and nothing happened, nothing will happen now. I want to talk to us today. Temperance is important. And I state this for me this morning, one of the most notorious deceptions of the enemy is allowing you to do wrong, not suffer any consequences, until you adopt that thing that's wrong as a lifestyle of wrong. Are you listening to me? And then, being so entrenched in that way of life, we become oblivious that God may not be well pleased with us and has left us, as Samson said, he didn't know even God had departed. And have left us because we will not live in the, he will not, God will not live in a defiled temple. Samson didn't realize that the Lord had departed from him. Why? Well, because he had done wrong, had no consequences. He kept doing wrong until doing wrong was a part of his life. It was so much a part of his life. He was oblivious to God being there or not being there. He couldn't sense it anymore because he'd become so numb by the fact of the way that he was living. And it all spun from a seed of intemperance. Not being able to be occupied, no harm. Amen. The web and his hair and the pen, no harm. But he reached a point. There reached a point in all of the success that he wasn't successful. And notice what happens. After he meets this point of no success, after that the Bible tells us in Judges 16, 21, that the Bible speaks concerning Samson that they bound him with fetters of brass. The gates couldn't bind him. The widths, the ropes, the web and the pen, all these different things could not bind him. But after he reached that point when there was no consequences, but now there is, the Bible says he's now bound with fetters of brass, which would have been nothing before. But here's the moral of the story. Listen. If you practice a life without control or restraint or temperance, then there will be a day in the future that the things that could have never restrained you will bind you sufficiently. They will incapacitate you. No, sure. Ask the alcoholic. Ask the drug addict. Ask the glutton. Ask the one that's raging with anger. 
Hmm? The famous words of the beginning of all those stories, I can handle. And come to find out the end of those stories is that they could. And they're being mastered by what they thought they could master. On July 5th, 2000, year 2000, Thomas Junta attended his son's hockey practice. He felt that the coach, and this is irony here for me, he felt that the coach, Michael Costin, allowed the boys to play a little too rough. So after the practice, Thomas confronted Costin, angry words were exchanged, and a fight broke out. Now that's irony to me. He's approaching a coach talking about how he's allowing the boys to be too, a little too rough in the hockey game, and then now he and the coach get into a fight. That's very illustrative, isn't it, for the boys? According to the eyewitness, Thomas, who outweighed Costin by over 100 pounds, completely overpowered the smaller man and beat him senseless. Michael Costin died two days later as a result of the blows, which ruptured an artery in his brain, and Thomas was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and will spend six to ten years in prison. Temperance. If you'll note, Every time you write the word dangerous, anger is right in the middle. The Bible says concerning anger, all right, Proverbs 29 and verse 11, the Bible says, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. What's that wise man doing? He's practicing temperance. He's holding himself in. Until afterwards, but the fool he uttereth all of his mind. Now I'm not telling you it's wrong to be angry, but there are proper guidelines to follow with your anger. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4:26, it even admonishes us: be ye angry. Someone says, I'm going to take just that segment and go home today and live a happy life. <laughs> I'm going to take that from the pastor's teaching. He told me to be angry. I'm already feeling it come on me anyway, so this is great. Be ye angry and sin not. Now, first of all, let's consider why the Scripture may even tell us to be angry because if you do not have an outlet that is healthy for your anger, your anger can destroy you physically and emotionally without it ever escaping your body. People's stress and anger, ulcers, digestive problems, heart disease. Uh-huh. So there must be an outlet, but it must be a proper outlet. He says, be angry, but don't go to the extent of sin and in your anger. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. For that matter, don't let your anger be a long, drawn-out thing. He says in verse 27, neither give place to the devil, which tells me that with this anger and the way that I portray it, or the way that I have a, a guard or a handle on it, if I'm not careful, it can be a venue which the enemy can get a foothold. In whatever the situation may be. And so here's something to realize concerning temperance. Think about this. Some things that we might even consider good and healthy in moderation may be the opposite in excess. True. Meaning, I need food, but in excess, that could be unhealthy. I need sleep. But to the degree of excess to laziness, that be unhealthy. I need even exercise. But to the degree of excess, 
and you're binging and you're ralphing and you got bulimia and anorexia that can be unhealthy another avenue that could be unhealthy is what you do with your money temperance the Bible says in Proverbs 21 and verse 20 there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise but a foolish man spendeth it up He's saying they have resources of oil and they have resources of treasure in their house. But it doesn't stay their own because the foolish man spendeth it up. Well, Brother McGee, what, that, what that's referring to, that's just referring, that's, that's applying to a gambler who's just squandering all of his money for a chance of a quick gain. That's what, what that's applying to. No, no, sir, ma'am, that's not. That's applying to any and every one of us that, that maybe just has some type of temperance. You done talking to the wrong man right here because I wish you would know the number, the number of phone calls I entertain around here on the phone and people that show up at the church house door that need help with the necessary, but they've been very, very lenient with the unnecessary. Temperance. Temperance. Is this okay? And for every person then that wants to buy in the fact, well, Brother McGee, it's no money down. It's, it's six to 12 months without interest. Let me tell you what no money down and six to 12 months without interest was designed and developed for. It was developed for people that are intemperate in spending. Because they're banking on those type of people without temperance and spending that can't sit down and count the cost to come to the end of their six or 12 months and have not paid the item off. And guess what you got? All of that interest and a little bit more sometimes. It's according to what the fine print says. You got all of that and more. So... Now this great thing that you bought, oh, it's nice, shined it up, or it's a new electronic gadget, it's wonderful. You're paying for it for the rest of your life. Listen, you need to only take control of something or advantage of something like that if you got temperance. I'm not going to tell you it's all bad, but it's not good if you don't have temperance. I've bought three laptop computers I know in my life that's been well around $2,000 each time I use their 6 to 12 month no interest thing. And guess what? I had it paid off before six or 12 months. Now that there, they don't like people like me. Because they don't make no money. But if you're intemperate, honey, they'll smile and shake your hand seven days a week. And you'll do it every time you see it. Someone say amen. Temperance. Look, when we consider even Sodom and Gomorrah, I, I got to move here. When we consider, we're having too much fun. When we consider Sodom and Gomorrah, most people would admit that the problem of Sodom and Gomorrah was, was wickedness or sodomy or, or things of that nature. But Ezekiel even states this. This is not something that we really look at too often. Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Okay. Look at this, though. Fullness of bread. An abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. 
So it is true, Sodom and Gomorrah had problems with wickedness, and they had problems with sodomy and pride. But some of the lesser considered problems, maybe because the others are so great and grand, and they kind of cast a shadow over these others, is a fullness of bread or gluttony, an abundance of idleness, laziness. And they stem, both of those stem from a lack of temperance. There was an excess of eating and an excess of relaxing. Now, I'm all for relaxing, but it has its proper place and its proper measure of time. People that just take a day off work because they feel like they just need some time to relax and sleep in. I understand there's personal days. You can, I understand. I understand. But whenever a person is just, you know what? I just don't think I'm just going to go to work this morning. I just need a few more. Temperance. Temperance. And just because it's an all-you-can-eat buffet is no reason to try it out. There's a reason why they stopped giving doggy bags at certain buffets. Well, it's temperance. You know, they get into these skewed things, and I know there has been some mental difficulties, but these things where people, you know, are eating mattresses now and eating the plastic off of newspapers that you get in the morning and all these psyched out things, and we're saying, what in the world is their problem? They're eating mattresses and they're eating so on and so forth. Well, what's the big deal? Some of us are eating, you know, 25 pounds of food in a day. I'm just saying, and that's excessive, but I'm saying, if you've ate past the point of being full, then you are intemperate. Boy, we're not supposed to talk about this in church, are we? This is something that's just written in the Bible you're not supposed to talk about. Proverbs 23. We'll talk about it more on Wednesday. It's a question that came up, actually. Proverbs 23, if we get to it. Proverbs 23 and verse 29. The Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? All these questions. Who hath redness of eyes? Verse 30 answers, They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine drinking drinking our mouth say my mouth boy it gets us in a lot of trouble our tongue whether it be through gossip backbiting slander or for some it may be profanity the bible says in james 3 5 even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. And set it on fire the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. And verse 8 tells us, the tongue can no man tame. So the tongue cannot be controlled by man. But when you receive the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit, is coming forth. The fruit of the Spirit develop in your life. Then that Spirit can help tame even that horrific tongue that lies behind those white gates called your teeth and those lips of your mouth. Controlling the tongue, it's in, in many essences a work of the Spirit. I'm glad when the Spirit works like that too because I need it just as well as everybody else. I go home sometimes, tell my wife, tell you what, the Spirit's been at work in my life today. What are you saying? Well, I didn't say something. That's what I'm saying. 
The Spirit has been at work today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 25. Here is then the word tempered again. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. The apostle Paul here in this section of 1 Corinthians 9 is referring to the Grecian Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games. And he's doing an analogy here in reality. He's saying that every, every athlete that goes to these games and participating in these games, they do so, they are striving for mastery as their go. Uh, more importantly, they are striving with the award ceremony as a go in the end of their mind, that they would receive some type of, of reward. And with that in mind, as a result of that, they are operating and conducting their lives, not just at the games, but leading up to the games. They are operating with temperance in all things, particularly those things that would concern their bodies and their ability to function in the games and be profitable at the games. He says they are striving for mastery. The word strive means they are fighting. They are laboring. They are exerting a lot of energy toward and for. They're struggling. They're contending. You can't do that on the sidelines. Temperance is not something that happens on the sidelines. There's exertion of energy. There's contending. There's fighting. There's laboring. Striving for. He said they're, they're, they're trying to strive and be temperate in all things. In all these things that's going to contribute to their success and their go. Alright? And so whenever they participated in these games, one participated in these games, they had to be very temperate for the nine to ten months leading up to these games. They had a prescribed diet that they had to follow and they had to be very temperate. They had to keep themselves in, so to speak. And he said, notice what he said, though. And the goal that they are going for, the reward that they are going for, they're going to participate and contend for that laurel crown, that corruptible crown. The laurel crown was just made out of, out of vines and leaves. Now listen to me. They made those at vine, out of vines and leaves. They were ready before the race ever started. And many times those interlaced and interlocked vines and leaves, by the time the contest was over, they had already started to fade and lose their luster by the time that the victor received his crown. And so the apostle Paul is saying, they're being temperate in all things for a corruptible crown. For something that's already faded and started to lose its luster by the time it's granted to them. He said, but you all, the church of the living God, are contending and trying to be temperate in all things. Not for a corruptible crown, but for an incorruptible crown. That when you get it, it's not lost an ounce of its luster. When you get it, it's not faded at all. Someone say amen. He said, they're being temperate for the corruptible. He said, but we're trying to be temperate and exercise temperance for the in." Corruptible. Here's something important. A lack of temperance could jeopardize the award. Because it did for Moses. In a moment of anger against Israel, Moses reacted. He let himself out, so to speak. Did he have good reason to be upset? Yes. If you had at least 600,000 men besides women and children murmuring, complaining, and you're the only man they're coming to, 
He had every reason to be upset. But he overstepped the be angry and, and sin not part. Because the Bible says in Numbers 20 that the rock that the Lord wanted him to speak to. So water would come out and quench the thirst of the nation of Israel. That Moses instead smote the rock. Twice. This rock that the Bible says even the New Testament had been following them. And in 1 Corinthians 10.4, the New Testament scripture says that rock was Christ. And so there was a symbol and a typology there. And it's that he not just did this in a quiet room with himself and Aaron, but he did it before the eyes of all the people, the Bible says. And so he smote the rock, which New Testament says was Christ, twice. And so he broke a typology because Christ was only going to be smoked or put to death on Calvary once. And so there was a typology that was broken. He did it twice. And it was in front of all the eyes of the people. And it stemmed from him going from angry to the extent of being of sinning in his anger that he did this. And as a result, the Lord told him in Numbers 20. Didn't, didn't wait very long to let him know. He said, Moses... He said, the extent of your journey is that you're going to bring the children of Israel to the Jordan, but you're not going to bring them into the land of their promise. The best that he got was climbing a mountain and being able to look over into the land. And so the question that I have for us today is what will our lack of temperance cost us? What will it? Because it's, it's not going to happen without costing oh but it seems like at the first second or third it does don't it that's where we get comfortable but it won't in the completion of the end be without a cost Aaron the golden cast made right people lose their lives Aaron's there even to help fashion it. If you read the scripture, whenever he's talking to Moses, I get so chuckled at this every time I read it. He's talking to Moses about how all this happened. He said, well, this is, I mean, this is just about as, almost verbatim, but I'm paraphrasing it, Paul McGee style. He basically told Moses, he said, well, I threw the goat in and out came this calf. I'm serious, you read it. I think it's Genesis 32, right around there. You read it. It is just hilarious. I mean, it's not, but it is. But he helped fashion. The Bible talks about it prior to that. He helped fashion. like I threw that in and that came this calf. We don't see nothing really happen there. He's there whenever Miriam and him talk about the Ethiopian wife and talk about how Moses has all this power. Miriam is struck with leprosy. Nothing happens to him. But whenever the days are over for Aaron, he said, let's take him up to the mountain. They strip his high priest garments off of him. And the moment they're stripped, he dies just like that. What is the deal with that? God hadn't missed a thing. What seemed like didn't cost anything. It's like the six or 12 months without interest. The time's up and all the interest that would accrued the six to 12 months. All the consequences that would have happened to you for all your other moments of intemperance. He says, payday. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. 
And he that ruleth his spirit, say rule his spirit. Then he that taketh a city. So with temperance, and a lot of things we think a person's strength or their, their, their might is seen by what they do. But with temperance, your strength and your might is seen by what you don't do. And sometimes when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, failing in temperance is, a, is failing to mature. Just like some teenager in our Christian walk, in like real teenagers, some teenagers, you know what they want. They want all the benefits of adulthood, but with none of the responsibilities. All, all the benefits. Or I see it even with new young married couples. They want to start out where mom and dad already are. They want all the benefits without any of the responsibilities. But we do the very same thing in Christianhood sometimes. We want all the benefits of living for the Christ, but we don't want any responsibilities for living with him. You'll stand with me and I'll close. And this is really a caution with, I, with what I close with today. 1 Peter 4, verse 3, brethren alone, and 4. The Bible says, Peter says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. He's saying in our, in our past life, we did like the Gentiles had done. When we walked, and he gives some examples, in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and these are idolatries. Verse 4, look though. Wherein, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot. In other words, in times past you used to do all that. Just like the Gentiles. But now you don't necessarily practice all that. But there's a group of people, even in your past, that say it's strange that you're not doing what you used to do. To the same degree that you used to do it. And here's what happens. They speak evil of you. Here's the battle for Christians. They come to know the Lord. They get filled with the Spirit of the Lord. That Spirit of the Lord starts to develop temperance in their life. They start to not do things that they used to do. The banqueting, the excess of wine, the lust, the lust. And those that knew them before time is saying, what's gotten into you? Why ain't you doing like you used to? And they speak evil of you. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying safeguard the development of temperance in your life. That you might not have before had any regard and did things in excess. And he said, you might have had others join you in the past in that row. He said, but after you start practicing a life of temperance, those who once ran with you are going to tell you how this new discipline that you have is unnecessary. And if they don't say it with their mouths, they'll have some way that they can convey it. You're being fooled. It doesn't take all of that are the words that are said. It doesn't take all that. You're being fooled. You're being brainwashed. Next time you tell them that they say that you're being brainwashed, you tell them that you got your heart washed, your hands washed, your feet washed, your head washed. 
You said, you better believe I've been washed. I've been buried in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not just being brainwashed. Every part of me's been washed. Remember, as we looked before, and I'm closing, the Bible says, against such, all those love joy, including temperance, against such, there's no law. Whenever you practice temperance, it's not unlawful. There's no law against that. But whenever you do some of those other things that are intemperate, there is. There's people serving sentences today because of intemperance. But whenever you practice temperance, there's no law against that. Moses, had you had spoke to the rock, you could have went on into the promised land. No problem. There been, there been no need to hold you back from that. So temperance kind of ends in the list almost like a capstone for all the others. Because there, there is a great, great level of success or failure in our Christian walk with the, the ebb and the flow of temperance in our life. You might be operating a certain measure and it's not what it needs to be, but that does not mean it cannot grow and flourish. Amen. Amen. It can. Everybody say, I, I can, can be temperate. You can. Because if you receive the Spirit of God, if you yield to that Spirit, He'll help you in all those areas. He'll help you. But it takes surrender. It takes surrender. The same surrender that it took for you to receive His Spirit, it takes that same surrender every day. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads across this place. Father, I come to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.